0: I think we kept that pretty tight.
1: What did we talk about before? Uh, Oh, the bookshelf. That could be the after show.
0: The bookshelf, so that's going to be the pre-show. Oh, okay. Okay. I
1: don't know. It'll be a longer pre-show than usual. What's the title? Everybody Needs a Junk Shelf. (laughs) That's right. That's good. Definitely the best title that we came up with.
0: (laughs) And it was in the first five minutes of the show.
1: I think we kept it pretty tight. Um, I do think that the... uh, The work-from-home topic, I think, was pretty good. Yeah. We had a little pause in the middle, so if you just take out the pause, I think it was a pretty good discussion.
0: Yeah, I mean, we basically kept the show to an hour and 30 minutes. Yeah. And then some after-show, which I'm going to have to actually do some editing on because I'm locked in. That that would would have been a good pre-show, like the good 30 seconds where we talked about how good the show was. (laughs) All right. I should be able to... To do this this week. And we can get something probably on the calendar for next weekend. I'm just going to be out of town.
1: Okay. Yeah, it should be good for next weekend. Um, so. Alright, so shall we get started with uh, what you're drinking this evening?
0: So, I took the easy way out. I go to Sam Adams Oktoberfest because it was cold and it was in the fridge and it was one of the three beers that were cold.
1: That's all. Sam Adams Oktoberfest. So as we record, it is uh, February 26th? Yes. How is it?
0: <laughs> tastes like an Oktoberfest.
1: Yeah, still good, huh? So it's it's a little skunky because that's kind of what it tastes like.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's probably more down in the basement, if I'm being honest.
1: Yeah, I I uh, I uh have the pumpkin beer, probably one or two of them still in the fridge, and around this time of year, they just do not sound good at all. I just can't get myself to even look at them.
0: It was either an Oktoberfest, a pump kick or a
1: <laughs> honey vice. I don't really like the cake very much.
0: Yeah, it was fine. I got some, uh, I got, what is it, it's a pumpkin, um, it's like a pumpkin stout. I have one of those downstairs too,
1: but... I don't know, I just haven't refilled my fridge for a while. And this was good enough. Pump kick. Is that a, pump kick, is that a, um, who makes that? Is that from Fat Tire? Same people? New Belgium?
0: If it is, then I'm telling you that I have the wrong thing.
1: Pump kick beer. Yeah, New Belgium.
0: Oh, then that's not what's in my fridge. Oh, okay. Must be something else.
1: Fair enough, we'll put a link to it, uh, we'll put a link to it in there anyways.
0: Yeah, that's fine. I mean, I'm drinking Oktoberfest, so it doesn't really matter.
1: You can shorten all this up. (laughs) (laughs) All my real-time follow-up. Okay. So, uh, yeah, so I'm drinking uh, beer as well. I have a beer that I got for Christmas. Um, Have I talked about Drecker on the show before? I think I did. Yeah. So I have uh, one bottle left here. It's a pint and a half, so it looks really big, but it's just a pint and a half. Um, of coffee rudder so their rudder is i don't know what they call it something broken rudder i think is a uh, irish style red and it's pretty good and this is uh, irish style red with coffee so uh it's the first time i've had it it's pretty good it's uh it's definitely a red beer a little bit of coffee flavor but uh i'd check it out it's i, I like their uh, milk maiden their uh i think it's probably the one that i had on here last time uh their stout i think their milk maiden stout's really good, but, Local, uh, local from Fargo, and I'm drinking out of the Drecker cup that they gave me. So uh, a couple guys I went to high school with. So uh, yeah, I'll be I'll be finishing that and getting drunker as we go along.
0: So two questions: How many ounces are in a pint and a half?
1: Uh, one liter, right? Does that answer your question? <laughs> so uh, sixteen plus eight, twenty-four. Hey Google, how many ounces are in a pint and a half? 0.5 U.S. liquid, pint equals 8 U.S. fluid ounces. Yeah, so she said 24, but it's actually uh, 1.6 ounces, so it's uh, 22 ounces.
0: Okay. So, okay. It does look bigger than that. But it's about two beers.
1: Yeah, yeah. So where can you get that? Um, you know, I don't really know where they sell it outside of the Fargo-Moorhead area. Um, they sell it Around the lakes and a lot of bars. I think they do most of their stuff in, uh, in like bars. They sell kegs and stuff to bars. So I don't know. I'm sure if you're in Fargo, you can get that stuff in bottles. But a lot of the local bars have their stuff on, on tap. I think that's where all the brew pubs try to get. I think that's where they actually try to get their money is by selling stuff to bars. Because I think like the uh, brew pub itself and selling bottles and growlers, I, th- I don't think hardly covers the cost of anything.
0: Yeah, but okay, so you can't get it down here.
1: I don't think so. I, although I should ask, uh, I should ask the people at Total Wine because if you can get it in Minnesota, which you probably can, I should have them get it just to support these guys I went to high school with. So, uh, did you you start wearing your Beats as your
0: wired headphones?
1: Yeah. <laughs> Is that it? I don't know. <laughs> You have further questions about that? No.
0: So as I know, we talked about it. They're Bluetooth, but you're so you're using them wired, plugged in, and you don't have any issues with that.
1: No, they're good. It's uh, wired, plugged in, and then they're not even on. I mean, I don't actually know what would even happen if I turned the power on. But like uh, the Bose headphones, you have to have them on for them to work. So these, um, even without a battery, they seem to work just fine.
0: You can hear yourself. Yeah. Well, I guess, I, of course, you can hear me.
1: I can hear you, yeah. They, they are working. How much were they? Uh, I think they're 300 bucks.
0: Hmm. I might be I... considering my headphone options. I broke my... I broke another pair of wired headphones. I'm now on to my... Lightning-only came-with-my-iPhone headphones.
1: Does that include your new headphones? That we haven't talked about yet.
0: Uh, (laughs) those are currently not something I'm using.
1: Okay, so well,
0: no, because I mean, so I'm obviously wearing my Bose headphones, but I guess I don't know why I feel like I need to replace those. There's probably nothing wrong with them, other than they require a wire.
1: Yeah, that's to me. That's something that's wrong with them. Now, now that I'm I'm living the uh, Apple W1 dream with my two W1 headphones. Uh, I really, really like these headphones. I actually saw somebody. Oh, when I was when I was flying back from San Diego, uh, the guy sitting next to me was asking me about them, and uh, I I just could not recommend these headphones more. They're not great headphones, as in like great sound. And I mean, for me, what I use it for, the sound is fine. I just listen to music every once in a while when I'm you know working, uh, and and podcasts and stuff like that. But the battery life on these things is insane. Like, I never, ever think about charging them, ever.
0: So, okay, I mean, in fairness, that's the, the downside of the Bose is that you have to charge a battery for the noise cancellation to work. And without the battery, they don't work at all. But when do you wear those over-ear headphones that a wire is really a problem? Like, even in an airport and on a plane, like, that's a time where a wire is least a problem.
1: So I'm not doing this as much now that I have my AirPods because uh, I'm using those more for for uh, phone calls, but um, I'll still use these uh, I'll still use these when I'm on the phone sometimes, and I just walk around my house with them on, and I leave my phone or whatever whatever I'm listening to or wh- whatever it's hooked up into I just leave it on my desk, and the range is so good I can walk like through my whole house and just walk around because like, rather than sitting at my desk just when I'm on the phone I just like walking around because it's like the only time I get to. Um, and yeah, so it's nice. I just leave my phone here and I just walk around and and it just works.
0: Yeah. So I feel like I have three main use cases for a set of headphones. It's sitting still either at my desk or in a plane or whatever. I don't know. On a bus. If I were on a bus exercise (laughs) and phone calls. So the problem with having wired... (sighs) The problem with wearing headphones while I'm working is that my source switches all the time. Like, I want to be able to switch from my computer, let's just say one computer instead of multiple computers, to my phone when it rings.
1: It's super easy with the uh, W1 chip. Like You just swipe up from the bottom of the phone, and it's already on there. You just push Beats 3, and then it gives a little chime, and then it switches from your computer. And so it switch- steals the connection? What's that?
0: It steals the connection?
1: Yeah. Yep. And then uh, going back to the computer, I just have my Bluetooth thing up in the top, uh, the, the taskbar up on the right. And I just push the Bluetooth thing. Beats Solo 3s are there. I click connect, and then it steals it back.
0: And yours has the, what would you say, W1?
1: Yeah. Yep. The Solo 3s were the first ones on the market to have it, and that's why I bought them. Um, and now there's the AirPods, and I think there's one other uh, in-ear Beats ones that have, like, a strap between them.
0: Yeah, those just came out, right? That, yeah, I that think so. X1s or something?
1: Yeah, something like that.
0: So your stationary and phone headphones are both your, they're your beats and then your exercise is your ear pods.
1: Um, I haven't quite worked out the exercise yet. I still have, uh, I don't remember what this is. I still have these, uh, in-ear ones that go like behind my neck for, uh, for working out. This, that's just what I, what I used last year for, for like biking and stuff. Um, there's cheap ones I got on Amazon. Uh, I went for a couple of bike rides earlier this, uh, I guess last week or two weeks ago, whenever it was really nice, I went for a couple of bike rides and, uh, they worked pretty good still. I just, I am not afraid of bringing my AirPods on the bike. Um, (laughs) I don't, maybe I am. I don't, I guess the thing is, I don't think they're going to fall out, but if an AirPod fell out, you'd be totally screwed. You'd never find it. Like, especially like I'm going, you know, 20 miles an hour on a bike path. So it falls out, skips out. And now it's somewhere in the grass. Like, 20 yards behind me um i mean it's white but i think i'd have a hard time finding it if it actually did fall out of my ear Hmm.
0: yeah okay i can see that yeah maybe i need to just switch to all wireless but i still need two sets
1: yeah i mean i'm I'm really well, happy with what I have.
0: I guess I don't. If I get something that covers exercise, well, it's just the earpods have such bad battery life. I mean, yeah, fine. It's like good battery life compared to other things in class, but like if I sit at my desk all day and I jump back and forth between music and phone calls, then I don't want to have to worry about when I'm going to charge it. Like, I don't always take lunch.
1: Yeah, I, uh, I don't use my, earpod, my AirPods for music most of the time during the day. Uh, so usually, I don't know where they are right now. I think they're in the kitchen. But usually, I just have them sitting next to me in the little uh, floss case. And then when my phone rings, uh, I, they're so good that when my phone rings, I pop one of them out, put it in my ear. And by the time I answer my phone, it's already, uh, it's already in, the, in the headphone. My beats are not that good. I actually have to, like, wait or answer the phone a certain way for it to work. So I basically take a call on them, and then when I'm done, I put them back. And I did that for about two weeks, and I just charged the case again last night. So I I don't even really think about charging those uh, if I just use them kind of on and off for phone calls and stuff. And I'm on the phone quite a bit, but uh, I don't use them that much for music. I uh, I do use them for podcasts. Like when I'm cooking or walking around the house or laying down, I put them in and listen to a podcast, something like that.
0: So the airpods are one sixty the beats solo threes, which I think is what you have, are three hundred, yep, and the beats x are one fifty what's why are the airpods better than the beats x? Beats
1: what's, X. <laughs> what's the uh, what's the battery life on the Beats X?
0: Um.
1: And how do you charge them?
0: Apparently, uh, it's an eight hour battery life. Battery life with a five minute charge that gives you two hours of playback.
1: Is it a USB charge though.
0: Um, unsure.
1: And do they have a sweet uh, cone microphone in in each of them?
0: Well, that's the question that I'm looking for. It says, it says, build in mic, um, play music, adjust volume, and activate Siri.
1: Oh, damn, you can even adjust the volume on them. What a breakthrough.
0: (laughs) Well, you probably adjust the volume by telling Siri to adjust the volume. (laughs) Oh, God. That's terrible. That's how the Google Home works. I mean, it's not the only way. So if I were gonna buy, like, if I were only gonna buy one, I should buy the Beats X, right?
1: Well, they're great for phone calls. They're great for music and podcasts. You're totally out of luck with uh, exercise. Hmm. The Beats X, not the. Oh, the Beats. The Beats, the Beats X. Um, maybe and they probably fit your ears better than the airpods right because that's a concern that you have with the airpods right cuz those ones have like the little uh cushy thing that you just shove in there right
0: right plus they have um you know they're on a string you're not going to lose both of them at the same time backwards
1: yeah but huh. I mean, for 150 bucks it's worth a try
0: yeah maybe i mean Like, I like the idea of the Beats Solo 3, but I just, like, for $300 as a general replacement for the bows that I already have that work pretty well. hmm, I feel like I can accomplish all three of my use cases with the Beats X.
1: The one thing I really do. I mean, I I like a lot of things about the AirPods, but uh, I just throw that little case in my pocket everywhere I go, knowing that if my phone rings, I just have it there, or if I'm in the grocery store and I want to pick up on a podcast or something like that. um, I, I don't think that I would like, after having that, I don't think that I would like having two little dinghies attached to each other on a string and having that in my pocket. You know what I mean? Like That's almost like how I used to have the the uh earbuds in my pocket and the string and like take it out and unwrap it and untangle it and all that that'd be my that'd be my biggest fear
0: the biggest benefit of the airpods is the case charger
1: right probably yeah
0: yeah, but other than that, it sounds like they're kind of disappointing. Well we'll get we' will we'll get into that at another another time. Alright.
1: I'm I'm not disappointed by them at all. I love them.
0: I think I would be disappointed by them from what I hear.
1: We'll put uh we'll put we'll put links to all three in the uh in the show notes.
0: Yeah. Alright, that was a little bit of a sidetrack, but it was kinda of follow up. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean Kirk Cousins and headphones are basically the two topics that this show is going to uh morph into. So, other follow-up. TSA pre-check.
0: I had to take an emergency trip to work last week. And Emma dropped me off at the airport on the way there. And I started a stopwatch while I was in the car. And then I got out of the car. The back where my bag was was locked and took a second to unlock. And from... Seated in the car until I was through security and took my phone out to text Emma was 5 minutes and 37 seconds. I thought that was pretty good. 5.37? Five, 5 minutes and 37 seconds, yeah. Then, uh, when leaving the office on Thursday and going straight to the airport, I started to stopwatch while I was parked at the office. The office is like a few miles at most. At most, it's five miles from the airport. And from being parked at the airport to getting out through the security gate, dropping off the rental car and taking the shuttle to the terminal, it took me 24 minutes and 30 seconds. That's pretty good. Yeah. So I think it was a good investment on my
1: $85. Say that again, 24 minutes and 30 seconds?
0: Yeah. I told Emma to sign up for it because it seems like fewer and fewer people are getting it when they haven't signed up for it and for 85 bucks for 5 years don't take my shoes off don't take my hat off, don't take my watch off don't have to wait in line I was so caught off guard by having to have my license out with no line
1: that I actually got
0: up there and was one of those people who wasn't prepared
1: (laughs) so uh When we went to San Diego a couple weeks ago for vacation, uh, on the way there at MSP, the TSA pre-check line was probably 15 people deep. And the uh, total average, not priority, just regular security line had zero people in it. So I think we had pre-check on our ticket, but we're like, well, let's just go through this line even though we have to take our shoes off. Um, And then on the way back at San Diego, we had pre-check on our tickets and so we got up there and so when you go through pre-check they still usually have bins for you right to like put your computer and your phone and stuff in
0: nope you don't have to take your computer out
1: what do you so what are you supposed to do with your phone
0: uh they do have one of those little circle bins or i usually just throw it in the side pocket of my backpack
1: so this this threw me off a little bit um and it's been a while since i traveled so fair enough but so I get up there and I was just, I was expecting bins and I have kind of like a, a process that I go through with the bins, you know, and when I've gone through pre-check before, it's just like, okay, everything is the same except for you leave your shoes on basically. Um, So, I, you know, like the belt and the whole thing and I got, you know, I don't know if you still use the same backpack, but, it, you know, butterflies. So I just open that up and throw it through. So you don't have to worry about taking the computer out or anything like that. So I get up there and there's no bins. So I just like... Uh, I put my phone in one of those little circular basket things, put my, uh, backpack on, put the car seat on and walk through and it beeps. And I'm like, okay. And I'm like, oh, it's yeah, it's my belt. Forgot to take my belt off. So I take my belt off, uh, beeps again. I think this time it was my watch cause it's an Apple watch. So it's just, it's a cell phone. So it beeped on me, take that off <laughs> at this point. People are starting to queue up behind me uh, and I'm starting to feel like one of those people that has a kid going through (laughs) pre-check, slowing people down. Now keep in mind, there was zero people in line at this pre-check. So we walked up. We were the only people there. Actually, I waited because there was a couple between me and my slow walking daughter and wife. Um, my, My daughter's a slow walker, not my wife. And so I let them go through and this was the couple that was fighting in line about where her ticket was. So I let them go through so that they could get through while I was waiting for for them to, to meet me up there. And this woman that I let go in front of me because I wanted her to like have this priority didn't have her ticket, didn't have her ID. So she argued with the TSA person about that her husband had her ticket or her ID or something. So I let her go in front of me, and she can't even get in because she didn't even bring the right stuff. So she's like worse than you. <laughs> You didn't have your ID ready. She didn't even know where her ID was or her ticket. Well, in fairness, she, there was
0: also nobody else in line when I did and, it. And, ugh, and I she's pissed I off that I pulled it out ugh. right away.
1: I, I just couldn't believe it. And, of course, now all three of us are waiting for her to figure out this thing where she doesn't even know where her ticket is. And then people are starting to queue up behind us. So I blame it on this woman. Uh, anyway, so I finally get through. And then uh, Sandra walks through and beeps. <laughs> She's got like metal buckles on her shoes that set off the thing, so then she had to take her shoes off anyways. Uh it was just uh it was a mess. I felt bad that I was the one holding up the TSA line.
0: This was in San Diego? Yeah. Yeah, Minneapolis. My belt uh doesn't set off the metal detector anymore. Or maybe it's just one going through TSA. I don't know.
1: It's weird. Um my belt and of course I have different belts now, but I used to have a belt that would not set off the Uh, detectors in Australia, but it would set them off every time in the United States.
0: They must have a sensitivity level. They must, yeah. And I feel like in TSA they have it turned down. Apparently not in San Diego.
1: Is that the first time that you traveled then, uh, since getting the pre-check? No. Or is it just the first time you timed it? It's the first time I recorded it. Oh, okay. I've timed it
0: almost every time. Since I got it, I got it three days before my trip to Indy. I used it to Indy, back from Indy, to Florida, back from Florida, to Florida, back from Florida. The next week I'll use it to Dallas, back from Dallas, and then to Vegas and back from Vegas. So I think it's already going to be worth it.
1: Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, even if you're just going to travel a couple times a year for five years, I mean, why not?
0: Yeah, well, if you don't want the government to do a background check, maybe.
1: Well, yeah, I suppose. Um, speaking of traveling and background checks, so this enhanced ID thing. So we, uh, so I ended up not doing the enhanced ID because I did not have a valid driver's license for a while. Dang, John Gruber. Um, and uh, so I finally got it. I finally got a new license. I just I was like whatever, I'll just buy a new license, I'll worry about the enhanced ID thing later. Uh which will be like after <laughs> after I'm not allowed to use a regular one anymore. So I went and got uh just a regular new driver's license and they I'm used to them like cutting the corner off the ID. I guess they have like a cool stamp now that actually stamps the word void in there. Are you familiar with this? No, but I will be this week. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh so yeah, so they stamped my license void. And so when I was going through at San Diego um, I, sh- I showed the lady my ID and then I pulled out my paper and I was like, do you need this? And she said, no, you can actually fly on an expired license for up to a year. So I didn't really need to rush and do all this stuff. I could have flown on my expired license. Uh, of course I still am not technically would not have been able to drive with that license. So it was still probably a good thing to do, but, uh, traveling was not the thing that, that I needed it for.
0: That's a good point. I need to rent cars, so I should make sure to yes. do that. Have you gotten your replacement yet?
1: Yeah, it was here when I got back. it was crazy it was It was like uh it was maybe less than a week or maybe just like a day over a week that I got it already
0: I'm gonna have to go maybe
1: tomorrow <laughs> one more thing on my expired license the uh I, I rented a car in San Diego, and the the guy who checked me out at National was pissed that they didn't put the new expiration date on the paper of my license. So I handed him my license, I handed him the paper, uh, made some wise-ass joke about, you know, my license was expired, I didn't lose my license, something like that. And he takes forever, and he's, like, looking through this yellow, you know, carbon copy sheet, I guess, for an expiration date. And he's like, tell your DMV to put the expiration date on there next time. And I'm like, yeah, sure, I'll be sure to do that.
0: Yeah, well, I mean... That paper means nothing to anybody outside of the state, right?
1: Well, yeah. I mean, I don't even really understand. Like, it, it just says that, like, I'm, I'm going to have a valid license. So as long as I show him my current license and I show him this paper and he understands that, I mean, other states do paper. So, like, he's got to be familiar with the process at least, right? I don't know. I don't know about that. They don't just, like, print the ID right on the spot, do they?
0: In some states, they do. Or they oh, used really? to. Yeah, oh, they wow. have
1: just falls out of a little machine. Oh, wow. That's like... You meant like a Costco card? Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. Who knew? <laughs> Not me, I guess. I
0: guess I still don't understand why they need to clip it or avoid it to begin with. It's about to expire. And it's you. Like, what does it matter if you have two copies of a driver's license? Especially if the new one's going to outlast the old one.
1: Yeah, it's probably for like a fake ID thing. Like, oh, yeah, you know, like, I sell my ID to like some college kid who is balding and looks just like me and uh you know he goes to like the liquor store and his license is is expired by three months and he's like oh yeah you know it's like (laughs) i don't know that's gotta be the reason
0: there's i hope there's a better reason than that you might be right but i hope that there's a better reason than that
1: anything else on tsa you're flying again next week the week after both nice
0: not this week though this week i get to be home so last week, in four weeks i will spend a week in florida a week in minneapolis a week in dallas and just about a week in vegas
1: and the vegas is for uh, emma's thing yeah okay
0: and just vegas are you working there depends on what you mean by work <laughs> Um, I have meetings, but that's probably about it.
1: Okay. Nice.
0: Yeah, I'm not, no, I'm not gonna sit in like no a hotel room and work in Vegas.
1: Yeah, the Wi-Fi in Vegas sucks anyways.
0: I don't know how to segue into trans utopian objects.
1: <laughs> oh, man, I wish that I had more, uh, had more information in the front of my mind about this thing. <laughs> Yeah, because you gotta describe it to me. Otherwise, uh,
0: we're not gonna have a lot to talk about.
1: So yeah, this this segment will just be. Uh, we'll have to make sure that Dell listens to this, so he can just spill <laughs> with rage.
0: Yeah, and then he can just provide our follow up for next
1: episode. Yeah. Oh my god. I mean, should I just read the Washington Post story? <laughs> so. What is it? Forty
0: light years from here. Uh yeah. Which is still really far.
1: Yeah, I heard uh, I heard an NPR podcast today and they said that the people or the people, the whoever on Trappist One um, What is Trappist One? Just... <laughs> okay, okay, let, let's start over then. Um what is my what what do my notes say here? So speaking of Planet Nine <laughs> Do you hear the news in the Washington Post this week about uh, TRAPPIST-1? Why are you talking about it? Okay, so TRAPPIST-1 is a star that is uh, 39 light years away. And I don't know if it was this week or probably last week, uh, scientists, we'll just say scientists under the veil of science, um, determined that there was seven warm, rocky planets uh, orbiting this tiny, tiny star called Trappist-1. So we talked uh, in last show about um, Planet Nine and how it's interesting, but probably not that uh, revolutionary for our sciences and our, our uh, space exploration. Um, it seems that just a few weeks later, science has blessed us with this thing that's exactly the opposite. Um, very, very relevant to future... Extraplanetary uh, exploration for humans.
0: TransNeptunian.
1: Yeah, so I think technically these are not trans because they are not in our solar system. Or is every other star in the universe trans I don't
0: know if there's an outer bound on trans I think it's just everything. We'll just assume it's everything within our solar system that's beyond Neptune, even though we don't also know the outer bound of that right now.
1: (laughs) So so when you're talking about the universe, you're talking about things that are on this side of Neptune and things that are on that side of Neptune.
0: (laughs) Right, because the Earth is the center of the universe.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, as far as we know, right?
0: (laughs) So, okay, so there are seven planets.
1: Yeah, and I think what's... What's really interesting about this is that there are seven uh, warm, rocky planets. So they're terrestrial planets. They're not, you know, gas giants and these things. They are uh, within the realm of planets that we understand to possibly contain things like water and life. And I think three, uh, maybe four, I think three of the planets, yeah, three of the planets are in the uh, habitable zone. Um, which is, is basically what they call the Goldilocks region where, where they think that, that life can thrive. Can you say that again? Habitable zone. Habitable. Habitable. Yeah. Words are my friend. Um, (laughs) so, you know, they're saying that, that, you know, using a word like earth-like is probably generous. Um, but they do kind of resemble Earth in, in terms of size, mass, and energy. And th- the interesting thing is that they're a lot closer to TRAPPIST-1 than we are to our sun. But uh, that star is is very low energy compared to ours. I don't know exactly what, uh, what the percentages are here uh, without trying to find them really fast. But that star is uh, very small and very cool compared to our sun. So them rotating so closely... Uh, actually puts them in about the same kind of uh, warmth zone as, as we are to the sun.
0: It's amazing that they can know that.
1: Yeah. And the story in the Washington post, which we'll link to here, um, it, it really, I mean, you read through this and how they find, how they find this stuff and how they figure this stuff out. And I think they had thought at once that, that there was like one planet that was circling these things, but it looked really funny. And, uh, it turns out that it looked funny because it was actually three planets and they rotate around the sun so fast. I mean, I think it's just like a matter of days is how, how fast they rotate around the sun or the, the Trappist one that they, they ended up finding out that there was three and then eventually that there was seven. Um, it's just, yeah, it's, it's really cool. So I, I heard a thing on NPR today that at, at, you know, 39 or 40 light years away, the, Beings on Trappist one are just now learning that Jimmy Carter has won the Democratic nomination for president of the United States, so they have a ways to go in terms of uh in terms of the happenings of earth if they are if they are indeed listening
0: so thirty nine light years is two point two nine three times ten to the fourteenth miles, and very disappointingly. I started to type 39 light years into Google and I typed 39 light years two. And it suggested that maybe I wanted to know what 39 light years to years was. I did not.
1: Uh, But is there, is there an answer? (laughs) Is that, uh, it just,
0: it, it assumes that I want to know how many miles it is.
1: That's like saying, uh, like what's, what's 300 miles an hour in cups, <laughs> right?
0: Uh, it's like saying what's 300 miles in cups. Yeah. What's 300 miles in years?
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, so I found the, uh, the, the three uh, habitables. Ha- <laughs> Habitable. Habitable. The three habitable zone planets, um, E, F, and G, they're called. Very clever names. Um, They rotate around TRAPPIST-1 at uh, uh, 6.1 days, 9.2 days, and 12.3 days. Oh, those are tight. So their years are very, very uh, short. And there was an artist rendering on this. You saw this, right? You saw the uh, artist picture of this thing? The water and
0: cave kind of thing where you can see the other planets in the back.
1: Yeah, so the, the seeing the other planets is really what caught my eye. And if you could imagine these planets so tightly clustered into the sun like this, you know, when we see the moon, it's, like, it's cool because the moon is, you know, if you actually think about what the moon is and whatever, it's interesting. But if you can actually look into the sky and see two or three or four other planets, I just think that would be so awesome. It's, like, the stuff out of, out of like, Star Wars or something like that. Um in real life.
0: Right. And of course you mean like in detail, not like, cause I mean you can with a naked eye see other planets from earth. They just look like stars.
1: Yeah. I mean like, so somebody says that that's Mars. And so it looks like a red star kind of, and it's like, okay, well that's probably, you're probably right. But how the hell am I supposed to know? But science. if you look, yeah, science. if you look at this picture, I mean, uh, I'm, I'm sad that, we're living at a time where we definitely will not ever go there and know what's there. So we just have to to guess, but at some point, you know, hopefully um, we as a species get there and someone can, you know, look out at this sun, which I don't know if you're actually able to look at it or not, like this picture shows, but, and see other planets basically um, eclipsing the sun, at least partially multiple times, her wake cycle, I just think it's it's a pretty cool thing to think about.
0: So there's this interesting infographic around orbital period and distance to star. And I know that you said that this is a small star, but what's really interesting is that it looks like the first, well, I mean, all seven of the planets are within 0.06 AU from their star. 0.06? So point 06? Yeah, so if Earth is wow, 1 AU from the sun, these planets are all incredibly close. Really,
1: really close.
0: <laughs> That's insane. They're they're not that different in size from Earth either. They're all between, well, I mean, Forty percent, one hundred and forty percent the size of Earth.
1: And if they if they do contain water, think about, uh, think about like the tides, that these other planets coming so close would be, and then being that close to the sun, um. Yeah, it's just so cool. I just wish that we could go there. Somebody should invent like a wormhole kind of device, so we could jump. Um,
0: How long would it take to get there with a solar? was it The solar solar sail
1: solar sail i have to look at uh i have to look at this text from rich right he was he the solar sail guy or was that no i think was it was somebody that, else oh is it somebody in our slack channel
0: yeah so the top speed of a solar sail craft is estimated to be eighteen thousand six hundred miles per second or one tenth the speed of light so if it was one tenth the speed of light and these planets the system is 40 light years away it would still take 400 years to get there
1: that's so depressing <laughs> yeah so as uh, as at least you know um i run i run a website that people go to and uh use for their daily business ventures um, and i recently had to to move servers where the website was uh, for a number of reasons and i've done this a couple times before and the trickiest part of moving from one server to another is that your public IP address changes. Um, And so, you know, we have this great thing called DNS that most people have no idea how it works, mostly including myself, um, certainly including 100% of my customers um, and even a lot of their IT staff. So the way that DNS is supposed to work is that you have a a record that says, you know, in my case, eMenuChoice.com. Goes to this server's IP address, and there's another thing on the record called the TTL or a time to live, and usually this is set to something like four hours. I think that's like the default for for most like new DNS records that that you uh, that you set, um, and basically what that says is that the DNS server's cache should be reset uh, at least every four hours, right? So if I change my server from you know a to b everyone should be looking at the new server within 4 hours well, the problem is that people have their own dns caching on their sites and they totally disregard ttls so what you'd usually do is you'd you'd move your ttl down to something like 30 minutes or even 15 minutes and then theoretically the smallest window that you'd have people looking at the old site would be 15 minutes but if people aren't looking at that ttl um, they try to go to e-menu choice and they end up going to this dead server that, you know, is the old production server. And, um, you know, for a lot of different reasons, you have to like shut everything down so that they're not like actually using the old server. Right. Cause if, if they go there and the old site is still there, they'd be using it. They'd be on the old server. They'd have no idea. They, they wouldn't know the difference. Right.
0: So you update the old server before you do any kind of switch or anything, don't you? So at least they're
1: aware. Yeah. Yeah. So the first thing, uh the the first thing that I do is basically take the old server offline um, and just like put it in maintenance mode. So when anybody goes there, it just says, you know, we'll be right back, kind of that kind of thing. And actually, the new server is in a maintenance mode too. So even before that, you know, you change the TTLs to be lower, and then yeah. But when you're doing the cutover, that's kind of the first thing that that I do. So when I get the new server actually working and live take the maintenance page down on the old server. And then what I do is I I put like a splash page on the old server that says we moved. So if anybody hits that server, um, they get a link. Um, And the way that I've done this before, because I actually just reused the page that I used last time, the way that I've done this before is it basically said um, you need to clear your cache. So if you're on iOS, put your device in airplane mode for something like 10 seconds and come back, and then your device cache should be clear. And then I linked to instructions on how to do that. But what I found last time, because last time we had a few sites that were down for, like in the morning they'd be down for twenty, thirty minutes, something like that. Um, before they cleared their own like sites DNS cache, and I didn't even want to like deal with that because we got, you know, a, a dozen or more sites now, and it's just it would have been way too much to deal with. So, um, so this time, I thought. Well, like, how can I, how can I avoid this huge headache (laughs) of these people? You know, they'd call me and they'd say email choice isn't working, or I'm getting this moved page. I don't really understand what's going on. And I'd be like totally powerless to help them because I can't say, like, I can't put a link in there for the new server, right? Because the new server is at email still, and their DNS would still point it back to the same page. So any thoughts, any, any, uh, Troubleshooting ideas that you have right off the bat, and if you come up with the idea that I used, I'm gonna be a little bit pissed off because I felt pretty good when I came up with it. No, I have I have no idea. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, and I'm kind of I wish I would have come up with this the first time, but I guess you live and learn. And, and the first time I did this, I guess I didn't really understand that these on-site DNS caches would just totally disregard the uh, the time to live. But so what I did is I created a new subdomain called www2.emenuchoice.com. And that pointed to the new server, and nobody had that cached as the old server. So I knew that I wouldn't have to break anybody's cache because it was a brand new DNS record. So somebody would try to go to that website, and the DNS server would not know what it was, so they'd go look it up, and then they'd go look it up, and that's how DNS is supposed to work. So um, right away, WW2 was working, and that was good. So then what I did is any request that hit the old server, which happened to be a, a Microsoft IAS server, I just redirected every single request that hit that server to www2.emanychoice.com. So nobody ever even saw the moved page. They just went, you know, they'd go to email choice. It would accidentally take them to the old server because their DNS servers weren't, you know, legit. And then they would just get automatically redirected to www2. Uh, and then they just go about their day and then they just keep using that basically until they weren't using it anymore. So the first day uh, that we went live, I got uh, zero calls with issues, which is really nice, um, because we have something like one hundred and twenty thousand page requests a day. Um, So to to have it all kind of go off without any issues at all was was really nice. And then I wrote a script that showed me um, of all the requests that were coming in across kind of the three domains that I support, so or at least three subdomains. It's uh, eMenuChoice without the www. Um, www and then www two, um, about 30% of my requests on the first day came to www two. So I would have had a huge, like huge support burden. Um, and I would have been totally helpless to fix this had I not done this kind of workaround And, uh, I just kind of thought of it on a whim because I was looking at my, I was looking at my moved page and I was thinking, what can I do on this moved page to help people, uh you know whose dns server is not paying attention or is not is not working correctly and i was thinking like it'd be really nice if i could put a link on here and i thought well i guess i could make a new subdomain and put a link to that subdomain and then you just kind of go one step farther and say well why have a link at all why not just automatically redirect them so then i think i let like two or three weeks go by um and then i just uh well i mean i shut off the old server um like a uh, a few days later i think after the weekend um i shut off the old server so then, anybody that was still using www two, and there was still a decent amount. I was maybe having like like four to to eight percent of my requests still coming in, just because I think that they they got on that page and then they just like they just never logged back in, right? The tab was still open, so they just kept using it. Um, so then eventually, I think I just oh yeah. So then eventually, I took the www two and I redirected it back to email choice. Because the old server was off, so it wasn't. I I wasn't getting in a redirect loop. So over the course of like a couple weeks and like a few changes, I did this whole migration, and we had zero DNS issues, zero server issues, and zero application issues. So it was really nice.
0: Nice. Anytime you can limit support calls. When you're a one man band, it's pretty nice.
1: Yeah, well, and especially because you know these were support calls that I knew I was gonna get that I had zero control over, right? So the best thing I could do with these is to say, have your IT guy clear, clear the DNS cache. And when you're talking to somebody who has no idea what that means, um, and even the IT guy might not know what it means or might not know how to do it, um, I just like, I lost sleep over how I was going to do this with all these sites. And it's nice when a, a plan kind of falls in your lap and then comes together. It's great when you work in an industry where the IT guy doesn't know how to clear cash.
0: So, speaking of WWW-2s and W-4s and 1099s and everything, uh, I've been working on my taxes. And by working on it, I mean just trying to even figure out what the hell I need to supply my tax guy. Because last year was a bit of a crazy year for me. Uh, worked a full-time salary job that required W-2 for the first half of the year. And then did some contracting as a sole proprietor during the summer, which is also known as semi-retired, if you ask Emma. And then uh, in order to pick up my most recent contract, I had to start corp to corp. And so my taxes are incredibly interesting. We might get into that a little bit more at some point. But one of the big transitions for me, and you've already gone through this a little bit before me, is switching from going into an office every day to full-time remote. And a lot of people have talked about this, and a lot of people have this problem, but making the switch and staying motivated and not being distracted, it's tough. What do you do?
1: Well, I think that I have, or had maybe, I guess still have kind of an inherent advantage with this in that, uh, at least for the time being, hopefully for the short time being, I'm kind of a one-man band, so I start this company, I run this company, uh, if I'm not doing everything I need to do to keep things moving along, you know, it's my own kind of livelihood uh, that that's sacrificing. The other thing is that, you know, most of the time, what I'm doing is really, truly interesting to me, and is really challenging, and I worked for about four hours today just because I'm interested in what I'm doing and uh, it just keeps like drawing me back in. So I think that helps a lot too. But really, I think my biggest advantage other than just really liking the work that I'm doing was that I needed to get this thing started. So if I didn't work constantly and keep distractions out of my head, um, I wouldn't be where I am today.
0: Yeah. Well, that's great and all, but authors love what they do too. That's why they're writers. And they have writer's block and, you know, when that happens, you just it's hard to make progress. I mean, it's the same thing for everybody else. So, I mean, there has to be more to it than that. You just you never have writer's block?
1: No, that's not the that's not the thing. I mean, there's there's certainly days where I'll go through maybe half a day and realize that the first half of the day was a complete waste of time. And that, you know, now I'm demotivated. Um, and at first, I really was hard on myself about those things. And I would try to work even harder in the second half of the day. And it would just make it worse and worse and worse. And then, you know, when my family finally got home, I was just like a complete asshole and in a terrible mood. Because um, I'd really like blame myself for these off days, right? But I've started to just accept that, every once in a while you have an off day. So I think that having an off day is different than being distracted. So when I say that I have an inherent advantage because of what I do, I mean just like typical like day-to-day distractions. Like I'm not working for somebody else and I'm not saying that you're doing this, but I'm not working for somebody else. So I don't like ever feel the need to turn on the TV during the day unless the world cup is on or the euros are on or the playoffs are on or NCAA basketball. Well, I guess I do that quite a bit now that I think about it, but like in reality, I just, I don't, I don't fall into like the day-to-day distractions that I think get a lot of people because of that other thing. That's not to say that I don't have bad days and I just need to accept that I'm going to have bad days and allow myself to relax on those days.
0: Yeah. I wouldn't say so much that it's getting distracted that pulls me away from work. I think it's, whatever is the demotivator is what allows me to be distracted. Like if I'm busy and I have the T V on, uh like there I mean there are day games and whatever, and I'll watch a baseball game and if I'm busy and I have and I'm motivated and I have the game on, like I'll watch an entire game and I'll see all the interesting plays and then all of a sudden I'll look up, the game's over. I don't know how long ago it ended, don't know who won. But I've been busy. So it's it's a precursor to that, that when either get sidetracked or, you know, something shitty happens, work-related, uh, getting back going during the day. I mean, what if that something happens, you know, right after you eat lunch and it's just now you're sitting at home and you start thinking about all the other things you could be doing. Well, um, you know, um, I need a break. I need a 10 or 15-minute break. I'm going to go throw the laundry in and all, you know grab a snack and I'll sit down on the couch or maybe it's nice. I'll go sit down on the deck and it's hard to just get back into it. And sometimes it doesn't even like going to sleep and waking up the next day and walking right back down into the office doesn't necessarily do anything to fix it.
1: Yeah. I, I sometimes try to schedule breaks on certain days. So, um, it's been a while since I've, since I've done this, but maybe a month and a half or two months ago, um, I knew that I was gonna have a day that was gonna be kind of demotivating. And usually for me, the days that are demotivating are the days where I know I need to work on something that I'm really not that interested in. So if it's like um contracts or like emails to customers to follow up on things, like I know that I have to do that stuff and it's important to do, but I'd much rather be writing like a new UI for, you know, a feature that I'm doing. So, you know, what I did that day is I power through some stuff in the morning, just like making myself do it. And then I went to a coffee shop in the afternoon and you know, some work I can do better from a coffee shop than others. Like customer emails and contracts are a perfect thing to do at a coffee shop because I only need one screen. Um, I can just, I can do it and I can allow myself to relax rather than if I was at home doing it. I know that I would be trying to do it as fast as I could to get through it. Right. So I can move on to something I actually want to do. So if I just say, this is going to take me the afternoon. I'm going to go to the coffee shop. I'm going to sit on a comfortable chair. I'm going to relax with like something good there and just like get through this but try to enjoy it, then it helps.
0: Yeah, so I guess in fairness, like this demotivation, it's not about being at home necessarily. That is the problem because it certainly happens at work. But when you're at work, people see you. They're less you know, likely to try and figure out exactly what it is that you did all day. They know you're at your desk. Whereas when you're working remotely, especially when you're working with a team, less so when you're working by yourself, uh, if you get demotivated and somebody's trying to look to see what you did, you know, you can't really give them a good answer. So,
1: yeah, I think, I think it's a lot easier, at least for me. Um, I'd be interested to hear what you think too, but like working at home by myself I tend to be a lot harder on myself than I was when I was working in a corporate culture with a lot of other people. Like I could go, you know, I could have a day at our old, at our old uh, company where uh, I maybe didn't get much done, but I could convince myself that it was because, Oh, you know, so-and-so stopped in my office and I had to like fight this fire and I had to solve this problem. And there was a support thing. And then there was, and, I gave a ping pong. And then there was, like, a couple of games of ping pong, which we probably won. Um, so, yeah, like, there's there's other things that I could basically scapegoat for me not having a very productive day, where if it's just me at home, you know, if I didn't have a productive day, it's either because um, I was doing things I shouldn't have been doing, like watching the Euros, or I'm just a terrible worker because I can't do these things that I know need to get done, like these contracts. And so I think it's just about, like, Um, you need to like forgive yourself and realize that you're going to have those bad days. I think that they talked about this, um, on an episode of under the radar, not too long ago, right. About like staying motivated and about like things that are demotivating. And I think the things that are demotivating are usually the things that you just don't want to do. Like if you, I know it's definitely true for me. If, if I'm having kind of like a, I don't want to call it a bad day, but a day where I feel like I'm not being productive. In a day where I'm just like maybe staring at my screen rather than getting anything done, um, if I look at the top thing on my list on what I'm actually supposed to be doing, it's usually something that I just really don't want to do for a number of reasons, right? Either it's too hard or I have no idea how I'm going to do it or it's boring. Um, usually I've, I've found that the, the days like that that I've had, it's because I have something on my list that I just don't want to do for one reason or another.
0: Yeah, that's fair. And I I think that's probably a good description of what it comes down to for me as well. Either that or just an ambiguous set of to-dos. So that could be on me or on my team. And that just makes it hard to focus. So, I mean, I tried to join a co-working space thinking, oh, great, I want to be around all these other motivated people that will help me get motivated. Except for I wasn't motivated to actually go there. And when I did, all those other motivated people really just were talking to each other. And so it was just sort of like an easy excuse not to get things done. And then I had a phone call and I had to get up and walk away from all the people who were working anyway. So it's like, it wasn't very useful. And we'll see because I still, still holding out hope. Especially once the weather gets nicer that I'm just going to bike down to the co-working space once a be week. Be all sweaty when you get down there. I don't have to go that fast. I'm not. Go, I mean, I'm not in a rush to get there.
1: Yeah, i I really, I really, really do like Coco, this co-working space that you're talking about. Um, I like, I like being there. I think that for me, it gives me like an energy that I don't get when I'm at home. There's just like a buzz about it, and there's like obviously like the nice lunch spots and stuff like that, that you can go to when you're around there. That's nice. The problem for me is that it's so far away from me is, is one thing. And then it's no further away than your office used to be. Yeah. But, uh, the alternative that I have, I guess is, is the main reason, right? So it's far away from me. And the alternative that I have is at home with three screens and a longer work day and less distractions and i can just get a lot more done here there's just i just cannot get as much done on my 13 inch screen that i can on my 13 plus 27 plus 25 inch screens right and that's no matter what i'm doing
0: that's fair um i would say that it sounds like you have enough administrative work that you could do that all in one day and do that from a place like that which would also double as getting you out of the house, which that's, I mean, that was one of my main reasons for this because I can sit in my office and I know it's like a terrible mistake. I use my office for more than just work because it's where my TVs are. And even when I'm not working, I spend time in front of my computer. Uh, And if like Amazon, a work trip, it could be like three days in a row where I've just sat in my office basically all day. And I need, I need a reason to get out of the house.
1: See, that sounds so awesome to me. I wish that I could do that, (laughs) but I, I I guess I just, I don't have a problem with that so much. I mean, I, I do think that, um, sometimes I just do need to get out of the house. So I'll just go to a coffee shop or something. And how often do you do that? Um, it's been a while. I've been kind of. Uh, more busy over the past month and a half than I have been, you know, previously. So I haven't haven't been able to do it, even had the luxury of doing it. But I probably do it like once a month or once a month and a half. Just as like a... I, I've even gone to the coffee shop to write code just to get out of the house. So if I, if I start feeling like a little bit stir crazy, I don't very often, but if I do... um just changing scenery a little bit seems to help quite a bit. And then I come back home and I just feel better about having left. And then the next morning, you know, it's easy to get up and then, then all of a sudden I enjoy my three screens again. Right.
0: Yeah. So one of the things you mentioned earlier is just longer work days. That is one of the things I noticed about working from home. That is kind of nice is that you can set your own schedule a little bit more. Uh, Once people accept that you're not around, but you're reachable, they pay less attention necessarily to the bounds by which you work. So I've noticed recently especially that I get a lot more work done from 9 to 11 p.m. than probably any other two-hour portion of the day. So knowing that I'm going to work from 9 to 11 Freeze me up to do things in chunks during the day. You know, I can easily work from 8 till noon because I wake up and that's sort of like my built-in expectation. And I know I'm going to work from 9 to 11. So sometime between 2 and 9, I just need to get in another couple hours or, you know, like another 6 hours, depending on what my workload is. But it's that's nice. I like that. And that has sort of helped cancel out some of my motivation stuff because I know that I can just stop because I'm gonna make dinner and we're gonna eat and then in the evening when you know, a time when we normally settle down and I'm just like watching sports or something, I can sit down on my desk and get a couple hours of work done pretty much undistracted except for by the dog.
1: Yeah, well that's that's one of the things that's been really nice for me, especially last year working from home, is I started, you know, cycling and I didn't use it so much as a way to clear my head. Um, like I, I didn't feel like I needed to go on the bike ride to get away from home, but it is certainly something that I did that got me out of the house for a while is just exercise. So I'd go for you know, anywhere between 30, uh, 30 minutes to two-hour bike rides in the middle of the day, uh, something you certainly couldn't do if you worked anywhere else. And I'm going on like pretty hard bike rides, so unless you had like showers at your office, you wouldn't be able to do that. Um, and so that probably helps me be able to stay here as well. Cause honestly, half of the time I'm on my bike ride, I'm usually thinking, uh, is this taking too long? <laughs> uh, should I turn back early? Not because I'm tired, but because I have a lot of work to do. Um, I probably would have rode a lot more miles last year if I wasn't so busy during the day. and <laughs> I didn't feel guilty about getting back on time. So, so what specifically is difficult for you? Is it just like being home for that amount of time or
0: well it's a combination of two things one it's the yeah just being a recluse is the right word for being a hermit for so long it's like uh I need to get out of the house so I don't get stir crazy and the opposite is sometimes when I'm at home it's just Harder to force myself into motivation.
1: Well, does your, like, does your traveling help with that?
0: Yeah, definitely. Because, I mean, I don't have a choice then. Uh, And usually being around other people, you know, when I travel, I usually work, you know, 25% more than I would have on a week at home, at the very least. And depending on which site I go to, it could be even more than that. And it's energizing.
1: Yeah yeah well it's it's I always uh remember not necessarily doing the exact work that you're doing but the kind of work that you're doing at least with with working for those kind of clients and like the ability to work long undistracted hours on you know difficult problems it, it is energizing um so yeah I mean I don't know if it would help you or not but to think about like when you're feeling cooped up at home like your next trip is usually not that much farther in advance. Like, like not that far away. Right.
0: Yeah. Ask Emma about that. How
1: she feels about that. <laughs> Traveling too much. Yeah. Yeah. 25%. Yeah. Right. That's, it's always in air quotes, right? Yeah. Um, well you, you said something too about the, you know, the long hours. And I know a lot of people struggle when they work from home, About like when to turn it off, like, like, do you work too long? you know, like, Working through dinner, that kind of thing. So for me, that's never been a problem, um, and it's. I think it's partially because I have a young child um, and a wife who prefers me to be around. Um, so I just I really try to to shut it off when they get home, but it's really nice not having any sort of commute at all, where I can get online, you know, sometime usually between six thirty and seven thirty in the morning, and I don't have to stop until. Five thirty or six o'clock at night, um, yeah, and no,
0: nothing like a little twelve-hour day.
1: No, but that's what I'm saying is I can work if I if I want to or if I need to, I can work a twelve-hour day, and still basically be here, you know, a hundred percent of the time that my family expects me to be here. Where if I was doing that at the old place, you know, I'd work a twelve-hour day, and you know, been known to do that there as well, but then I have a half an hour or more into the office and a half an hour or more back home from the office. So my 12 hour day really turns into more of a 14 hour day. Um, And I'm not saying you need to to work those long hours. I'm just saying if you have like a bunch of stuff you need to get done, you can get a whole lot more work done without having any sort of commute at all and still be around for your family if you need to be.
0: Yeah. And that's, that's definitely a huge benefit of working from home is not having a commute. And I mean the amount of burden that I, adds, even if it's like 15 minutes each way, just whether you're catching a bus or you just got to deal with traffic. uh, I'm so glad I don't do that. Instead, you know, I just got to take four flights every couple weeks.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Your commute is an airplane. Right. right? And
0: if you spread that out, I guess, over the course of a week, then uh, sure, maybe that adds up.
1: So have you found that you've gotten better? How long has it been... Uh, since you really have been working full-time from, from home? It's been like six months? Yeah, about six months. So are you feel like you're, you've are you gotten better or are getting better at the things that like were initially difficult for you? So given what I have to do for work, it really depends.
0: It's so hard to tell because it depends on what exactly it is that I'm working on. And there are certain things where I can say that I'm doing better at working from home, but really maybe I'm just more interested. Yeah. So it's hard to say. We'll see. I mean, I need to continue it and see. I mean, on weeks where I'm less motivated during the day, I still have to get the work done. So it just bleeds over into the night or the weekend. And on weeks where I'm really motivated and I just have so much work to do, it bleeds over into the night or the weekend.
1: Yeah. And that's, that's the thing, uh, for sure. If you're working on something that is, you know, demotivating or you don't want to do, you have to really forgive yourself about having an off day and not extend the day because what it does is it makes the day worse and it makes you dread the next day, right? You need to forgive yourself, give up on the day when it's quitting time and then promise yourself that you're going to like take the evening off and then attack it again hard the next day.
0: Well, yeah, except for now I've sort of fallen into this I'm going to work a couple hours every night thing, which means that my day is really never over.
1: But that might that might be dangerous. Yeah,
0: but I I like it better.
1: <laughs> so okay. I probably just need to start later. Yeah. But it also gives I me guess...
0: a break in the middle of the day and it allows me to feel better about like if it's one o'clock in the afternoon and I feel burnt out or I need to go do something, I can because I know that I have that to fall back on. So one of the other things that adds to my problem of being home is we recently stopped going to the grocery store because we order all of our groceries from Instacart and I don't even go to the pet store anymore because we start ordering our dog food from Chewy.
1: (laughs) So you really are a hermit right, or reckless
0: exactly, and if i just if I start using drizzly, I don't even need to go to the liquor store,
1: <laughs> okay, so uh yeah, the map behind me uh let's see that's it's my right shoulder. what yeah. does it look like to you? nobody my yeah, flipped there,
0: no, you're right, but nobody can see that
1: <laughs> no, I know it's but it's a it's a visual it's like it's important for it's like uh when. The radio guy on the uh, football says, <laughs> on the football, says uh, from left to right on your radio dial. And so you can visualize it.
0: Right. It's so that you can look at your radio while you're driving.
1: Yeah, right, right. It's really safe. So, anyways, this map over my, my right shoulder, um, I'm replacing it with a shelf. Uh, kind of, sort of, not accidentally, but coincidentally, uh, the day after I start trying to budget again, I spend $450 on a bookshelf.
0: Wait, so it's a shelf or like a, what is it?
1: Um, it's like a, I mean, it, like it, it's on the floor and it's got like, uh, doors on the bottom and then like five or six shelves. It's, it's like, like a shelf unit.
0: It's like a bookcase.
1: Yeah, I guess it's called uh, Cambodia or something. I mean, that's like the, it's from Room and Board.
0: Yeah, four hundred fifty dollars. It seems like a lot for what you're just getting.
1: I mean, it's nice. It's really nice. Uh, There's I that
0: actually, uh, 300% room and board markup.
1: Well, I think the uh, I think like the usual price for it is like 1,200 bucks.
0: Right. If it wasn't the outlet, it would be a 700% markup.
1: Yeah, but it's actually, I, uh, I I went to like pick it up after I told this like person I was gonna buy it, and she's like, "Well, you saw this like little nick here," and I'm like, "Yeah, it's fine. It's gonna be against the wall." And I went to move it to see if there's anything on the other side. (laughs) It's really substantial. Like I could hardly, I could hardly even like, I didn't want to like slide it and like break the legs, but I could like hardly pick it up. It's so heavy. And then she gave me a hard time for it. So thanks a lot, room and board employee. It's a good thing you're not moving
0: anywhere for a while.
1: Yeah. Yeah, actually, uh, I decided to pay the $89 for delivery. So that was part of the price. It was 350 bucks plus 89 bucks or something. I just figure if I'm going to rent a truck, it's going to cost like 50 bucks, 40, 50 bucks. And then I got to find somebody to help me. And I know you wouldn't, (laughs) at least you wouldn't want to. Well, of course. So two people, let's just say you and me, even like you wouldn't want to, but you still probably would. So you and me, it's going to take us like an hour to do this, even though it's right inside my front door. Uh, I think our time together combined is worth more than thirty dollars for an hour.
0: Plus, we'd have to park the truck at the bottom of the driveway; otherwise, we'd be getting it out on an incline, and then we'd have to walk up the incline.
1: Well, yeah. So, to, like, like manual labor stress aside, yeah. just the time that it's worth. I just did the quick calculation, decided that it was worth eighty nine bucks.
0: Why? Are oh, you
1: buying the bookcase now? Well Sanders wanted me to get one for a while. It's uh I don't have anywhere in my office to like put stuff. I don't have any drawers or shelves on my desk, because it's just the IKEA like piece of wood desk. Uh and I have like I just have like a bunch of stuff piled up everywhere, and it'd just be nice to like pile it up on shelves rather than on the floor.
0: <laughs> yes, everybody needs a junk
1: shelf. Yeah, exactly. Now I got five of them that are going to be perfectly visible on the uh, on the live show uh, webcast. I can't remember what I was watching. Maybe it was just a, a screenshot that I saw of somebody else's podcast. Maybe it was Merlin Mann, but he's got like a bunch of, is it him? He's got like a bunch of old iPhone boxes in the background of his, uh, it was somebody. It was kind of cool. I thought, uh, I keep some of those boxes.
0: I keep all of those boxes well, I don't know what to do with them.
1: I know, they're just, they're way too nice to throw away. And I keep like the little SIM card tool in there. So it's just like a glorified SIM card tool holder box. Um, you know, I also have a paper clip on my desk that I could use, but that that thing probably costs like, you know, twenty bucks or something. So maybe I'll put my uh, boxes that I have on one of the shelves.
0: Where did you see this, picture?
1: I don't know. I thought maybe it was uh, maybe it was on Twitter or something, but I thought it was I thought maybe it was Merlin Mann. But I'm not sure.
0: Find it. Put it in the show notes.
1: (laughs) I have no idea how I'm going to find it.